Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel, John chapter number 1, and also Titus chapter number 2. John's Gospel, chapter 1, and also Titus chapter number 2. Uh, <clears throat> and we're going to kind of uh, jump back and forth between these two uh, throughout the message this morning. If you would stand together as we find our place there, we're going to read three verses in, first John, or in John chapter 1, uh, and then we are going to jump to Titus chapter 2 and read a few verses there as well. <clears throat> Excuse me, John chapter 1, and beginning in verse number 14, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him, and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake, that cometh after me, is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of his fullness have, we all, have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, in Titus chapter number 2, and beginning in verse number 11, the Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. I want to speak to you this morning as we continue with our theme for the year, Go Forward in the Grace of God. Let's pray. Father, as we come together this morning, Lord, what a blessing it is to be able to unite with brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, thank you for the guests that are here this morning. We're honored that each one of them would take the time and come to this place to worship with us. And Lord, I pray that they feel welcome and at home. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work amongst us. Your Holy Spirit, we know that your promise is there, that when we gather together, even just a few, in the name of our Savior, that you meet with us, that you'll work in our hearts. May our hearts this morning be open. Lord, thank you for your protection. Thank you for your providential working in our lives. Thank you for uh, what you've done for Paul and Debbie this week. Lord, I pray that you continue to keep your hand upon them and others that are suffering uh, with and are afflicted with illness and with recoveries this week as well. Lord, bless this time together in your word. Bless your word, Lord, Holy Spirit. I pray that you give me power to preach, that you would, again, open our hearts, and may we respond to uh, what you do in them in this hour. In Jesus' name, and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> Going forward, we want to be, as we have been establishing and laying the groundwork for since the beginning of the year, not sitting still in life. As a matter of fact, I really don't believe that that's possible. If I, in my relationship with God, I am either regressing or progressing, there's not much standing still. And so, uh, I, but for, uh, the, the, intentionally, we must go forward. If I just kind of go through life uh, and let life happen one, from one day to the next, the one thing that I can be assured of is that I'm not going to make any progress. I'm not getting anywhere. I can't, uh, you can't approach your job that way. You can't approach your marriage that way. You can't approach parenting that way. You can't really any, re any relationship in life 
cannot be approached from just uh, we'll just take things as they come along attitude. Preparations have to be made. Things have to be looked at and assessed, and uh, and the goals need to be set, and uh, and uh, things need to be set in motion. Plans need to be set in motion for for growth, for stability, for uh, for strengthening, for getting to a place of productivity productivity in life, and all of us ought to desire that. I say. Uh, often that this is that uh, we are a church we are a, an assembled body of believers that have been called out for the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, God ordained the church he established the church for the purpose of our worship for uh, the purpose of, of helping and assisting one another for edifying one another for admonishing one another uh, helping one another to stay close to the Lord and encouraged to grow in the Lord uh, but the church never saved a soul the church never changed a life uh, only the Lord Jesus Christ can do that. Religion condemns and sends men to hell, but a relationship with Jesus Christ brings salvation and changes lives. And that's what we are about. That's what we want to see accomplished. That's what we want to see uh, done in the lives of people that we come across. We want to be aggressive about getting the message out, and we want to be aggressive about living a life that validates the message that we preach and that we share uh, because if we're just mumbling words and the life is not backing it up, then it is, uh, it is going to do really, in, in essence, a lot more harm than good. We have a command from our Savior. We need to be going forward uh, in this world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, we say... And we talk a lot about the grace of God. You cannot read very many pages into your Bible to where you're not reading about God's grace and where the term grace is freely used. And uh, we hear it in culture. We hear it in, in, uh, in church circles. And it means, honestly, a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And, uh, and a, a grace can, uh, be, and, and really, it's that sometimes we shy away from even preaching about grace because uh, grace is probably one of the more abused terms in the Bible in the sense that uh, people want to cling to it and use it as an excuse to sin. Uh, but even in our text this morning, we read that the grace of God is to assist us and to develop us and to grow us into living godly in this present world, to be a peculiar people. And by the way, that doesn't mean a, a, a weirdo or some type of a circus sideshow. It means live differently so that your walk with God is so real that it causes those around you who are in darkness to recognize the light and so to validate the message. And so... Uh, when we talk about grace, and we're going to spend probably the majority of our time this morning kind of laying out essentially what grace is. The first message of the, of, of the first point of the message this morning is essentially a definition of grace, and then uh, we'll build from there. But getting there and getting through that first point is going to be the bulk of our time this morning. Grace is a word that, as I've stated, we use for a lot of different meanings. And, and truthfully, it has a pretty wide or, or broad base of definition. It does not just mean one specific thing, but I do believe that in most cases it means uh, all of the parts of the definition are meant to be blended together to produce grace. And so we have to kind of break that down and look at it and to understand. Now, in everyday life, and, and depending on where you live in the world and uh, what the culture of the, of the nation is, and grace can be used for a lot of things. For example, uh, grace is often used as a title uh, by which to address royalty. You'll go into uh, a, a king or a queen, and, and often they would be referred to as your 
grace. And so it is not, uh, it is just something that is used as a, as a term of respect and to recognize title. It also can be used as a term to, descri- to describe someone that's, uh, that's regal, someone that in their deportment or in the way that they carry themselves uh, is regal. How often do we look at someone, particularly uh, uh, whenever we go to more formal events and you look at someone who is, uh, whether they're a man or a woman, that's, that they're, they're dressed up, they're pressed, they're polished, they're ready for a big event and you'll look at someone in the way that they walk and you'll say, well, that, uh, that lady walks with a lot of grace. It is just the way that she carries herself. And uh, you know how we, we go through and uh, sometimes we just kind of ramble through all of life like we're a linebacker uh, and, and uh, uh, sometimes we can kind of pick our head up and we learn how to walk and, uh, in a way to, that's appropriate for what we're doing. And so, uh, but that term can be used as someone that is kind of elegant in the way that they display themselves, the way that they carry themselves. Now, it also can be used to describe someone who is kind or merciful. And mercy is kind of its own, it's part of it, but it's kind of a, a whole different thing. And I uh, may preach about that soon, maybe even tonight. But it, it, mercy is, is different in grace in that uh, mercy is extended to the guilty. And, and in order to receive mercy, uh, I must be guilty. Now, we receive the grace of God. We need the grace of God because we're guilty. So there's some similarities there uh, that overlap. But when we talk about uh, grace, and we speak of someone that's kind, someone that just is merciful, uh, then we often would say that that, that person is gracious, that person is, uh, is graceful. I was dealing with a problem with someone this week, and they, at the end of the conversation, a long conversation, they stopped and they thanked me for being gracious and dealing with a circumstance or a situation, and, uh, and so that ought to be natural to the Christian, that ought to be what people think of us, so that ought to be how we display ourselves in the way that we carry on. And so, but grace means that in being kindness or merciful. And also means, uh, or can mean, a short prayer before a meal. And so I'm just trying to, this morning, let you know, hey, there's a lot of different variations in meaning to the word grace. It can describe an age or a, a dispensation of time. We would say, uh, many would say today, that we're in the church age, that we're in the age of grace. We are in an age where the law is not our focal point. It is not what is, it is not demanded of us. The law is the schoolmaster to help show us our failure so that we understand the need that we have for the grace of God and how that applies to us. Now, if I am going to, as a Christian, and grow and move forward in grace in my life, I have to understand the, the biblical terminology. What is it that the Bible says? It's one thing to consider, okay, culturally what does grace mean, but it's another thing uh, to embrace what the biblical term and definition, the Bible word for grace and, uh, and how that relates to us. And so when we talk about and begin to understand, the, the, gain a biblical understanding of grace, realize that it is essential to navigating the Christian life. I cannot successfully navigate the Christian life if I don't understand and cannot define the core tenets of the, of, uh, and the essentials of the Christian faith, of which grace is one. And so we want to understand that. We freely use terms like saved by grace, for by grace he is saved through faith. We'll come back to that in a little while. But uh, for by grace he is saved. Listen, if, if I'm saved by grace... It would behoove me to understand what the Bible means when it just says what grace is. 
And so if it's going to save my soul, if it's going to determine uh, where I spend all of eternity, either in the presence of God in heaven or suffering in hell, uh, then I must understand this morning uh, that, that if I'm saved by grace, then what is grace? We talk about the age of grace. We touched on that. We talk about the grace of God. Uh, and the grace of God. Praise God for the grace of God. Without it, we would all be uh, destroyed. So, again, what does all this mean? Uh, and what does this term mean? How does this or how should this affect my daily life? Because after all, we come together and we lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in worship and, uh, and we brand ourselves Christian because we placed our faith in Him and received that grace to salvation. But what does that mean? Am I supposed to put my trust in Christ and then just continue on the way that I was? And absolutely not. And I'm a firm believer that Jesus will save you at anywhere you are, but he's not going to leave you there. He wants to bring us along the way and to grow us and to develop us uh, and to teach us. So how should grace and the grace of God determine and affect my daily life? If, a Christ, if my Christianity is only for Sunday, then it's not much good to me. It's not of much value. It may give me something to do if I get bored at home on Sunday, but it's not going to really affect my life. I, I don't need that kind of grace. I need grace that touches me every day. I need a grace that moves me, that changes me, that grows me, that draws me. I need a grace uh, that, dis, that demonstrates to me uh, what it is that God's expectations are for me and how He wants to fulfill those expectations in my life. So if I'm going to understand that it should affect me, then I have to ask the question, where does it come from? And when I answer the question, where does it come from, then the next obvious question is, how can I get it? Okay, now that I understand what it is, and now that uh, I understand what it's supposed to accomplish, and uh, I can look and say, okay, this is where it comes from. Now, uh, how do I get some of that? How, how do I obtain it? And then, why is it important? I mean, why can't I just adopt some other form of belief system or uh, religion. I was pumping gas the other day at Kroger and I had a, a lady come up to me and, uh, and it, was, it was raining. I admire her, uh, her persistence and her uh, devotion to her cult, but uh, she's, a part, she's a member of a cult and, uh, and she got out in her uh, little raincoat and I'm standing there pumping gas and uh, trying to stay as dry as I can and she's got a little raincoat on, a little hat on and I, I, I don't know if she walked up from somewhere or if she was just pumping gas nearby and uh, I didn't see her kind of sneak around the, uh, the corner and she started to tell me uh, that, that uh, she just wanted to encourage me with the Bible uh, and so I could see in her hand right off uh, the cult that she was a part of, and I said, ma'am, I don't mean to be unkind, but, uh, but you cannot encourage me with the Bible until you have the Bible. And what you have in your hand uh, and, the, and the translation that it uses is, a, is not a sound Bible text. It is a uh, corrupt uh, and, and a, a corrupt usage of, uh, of the word. And she kind of looked at me confused. And I said, listen, ma'am, I said, again, I don't mean to be unkind, but, but what that, that paper that you have and the book that you read from, does, it denies the deity of Jesus Christ. That belief system that you have denies a literal hell. And quite frankly, if there is no literal hell, then I don't need a literal heaven. I need God because there is a hell. I need a relationship with him because I need him to work in my life. I need him to change my life. I need him to do 
for me, and I was kind of hoping that, that she would open up to a little bit broader dialogue if she was really searching for truth, but she just really quickly, when she understood uh, that I understood something about the real Bible and the deity of Christ and, uh, and the grace of God and the legitimacy of hell, uh, that we did not believe the same thing, and she just said, well, uh, I don't want to leave on a bad note, so uh, we don't believe the same things, and I said, no, ma'am, we clearly do not, and uh, uh, and. So so uh, she walked off. I, and, and by the way, uh, when you're faced with that, it is biblically inappropriate to, to wish them well. Uh, because then the Bible says that you become a partaker of their evil deeds. Uh, and so I was not unkind to her in any way. I was just direct in what the what truth is and what uh, the belief system are. But, uh, but listen, we need God's grace because hell is real. Hey, listen, uh, sin is real. Look at the evil that exists in the world around us, uh, and, and it's, it's hard to deny uh, that there is a real devil out there, that there is real legitimate evil out there, and I'm grateful this morning that there is a real legitimate God, and He saves us by His grace, and He loves us, and He seeks us out where we are, and it would do us well to know not only that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, but to allow Him to fully develop grace in our life, and I think that we'll understand more about that uh, as the service moves along this morning. Many years ago, there was a man who was very learned. He was a very wealthy man. His name uh, was John Selden, and he was older. He got to the point where he was dying, and he called in uh, Archbishop Usher and spoke to him, and, uh, and he said, listen, sir, he said, I've surveyed, uh, I've surveyed most of the learning that is among the sons of men, and my study is filled with books on all types of subject matter. And In fact, this man had 8,000 volumes in his private library. He was uh, someone that, that really searched things out. And he said, but at present, I cannot recollect any passage out of all my books and papers whereon I can rest my soul, save from the sacred scriptures. Listen, this book is a sacred book. Uh, it's the one thing in this life that I can look at and I can trust and cling to is my Bible. Uh, I can rely upon the God of that Bible and then he went on to quote the grace of God. Our text this morning in Titus, uh, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Listen, I cannot use grace as an excuse to sin when grace so clearly wants to develop in my life uh, a, a godliness uh, that it wants to bring me and create righteousness in me as I go through this world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing uh, of uh, Jesus of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and so uh, when we look at that and we understand what God wants to accomplish, we must come to the conclusion that the grace of God is of vital importance to my life. Not just for salvation, but for life, to live from day to day. Now, we're going to look, first of all, this morning, if you're keeping notes this morning, you have your handout from the bulletin, uh, and point number one, I want to just issue basically a statement of grace, or uh, uh, grace defined. What is the definition? What does it mean, uh, this word grace, this term grace? And so, when we look here, and I'm going to give you just a very brief definition that's condensed from all of what I'm about to give you, because what I'm going to give you is far too much to remember but it can be consolidated into one fairly concise statement, and that statement is this. 
the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. So when I want to understand what the true grace of God is and what it should accomplish, it is the divine influence of God upon my heart and the reflection of that influence out into my daily life. And so uh, kind of embrace that and understand and grasp that as we read. But uh, to get down to the nuts and bolts of grace and a deeper look at what grace is by definition, great grace uh, comes from the Greek word charis. Uh, that word is the word that's used throughout John chapter 1 where we read. It's used throughout Titus chapter 2 where we read. In fact, throughout the bulk of the New Testament. Uh, I did not look to see if it's the only word that's used for grace. But in all of the verses that we reference today, it is the word uh, in the Greek that was translated grace uh, for us today. Now, what does that mean? Uh, two primary thoughts on this. Uh, and, and when we talk about uh, this Greek word uh, that, that we derive grace from. First, it is that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, or loveliness. And so when we look at that and we consider uh, it, it, where does joy come from, joy is something that stems from grace. It is the grace of God working in us. And so when I come to realize that grace is important, where does my, uh, my righteous pleasure come from? Uh, it is afforded to me by the grace of God. And so grace is associated with pleasure, with delight, uh, with sweetness, someone that's just sweet in their disposition. Now, I get accused of a lot of things. Being sweet in my disposition is generally not one of them. Uh, I do work on that. I try to be uh, good about that, but sometimes my... Uh, the sharpness of my tongue or my natural sarcasm that just kind of flows. And I even, uh, sarcasm runs so deep in my veins that it's my basic sense of humor. And so that's a dangerous thing sometimes. It gets me in a lot of trouble. Uh, and and so, uh, you know, a matter of fact, and, and a lot of people that I knew or friends that I grew up with would just blatantly say, if, if it wasn't for sarcasm, our family wouldn't know how to communicate. Uh, and so, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we're not that bad. But, uh, but listen, where does... Uh, that, that sweet disposition come from, charm, loveliness, grace. And so when we talk about grace, we're talking about grace of speech. And so initially, what he's saying here is someone that's graceful in their speech, someone that's gracious in their speech. And the Christian of all things should be gracious in their speech. How we respond to trials, how we respond to adversity, how we respond when someone is wrong, when wrongs us, how we respond when we're under attack. Our response initially in our flesh is we want vengeance, we want to set things straight, we want to, uh, we want to respond in kind. But the reality is in the Christian life, and I, listen, I understand in the Christian life there's a time to take a stand uh, for righteousness, not for self. But for uh, when we look at this, we ought to be gracious in our speech, and that comes from the grace of God. And it is not just a moment of salvation grace. It is a, uh, an infiltration of grace into every area of our life throughout all of our life as God grows us and develops us and moves us along. So uh, we, we're speaking of grace of speech. Secondly, uh, it means this, goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. So when I'm in the grace of God, I am experiencing the goodwill of God extended toward me. I am experiencing the loving kindness of my Heavenly Father extended toward me. I am, I am experiencing uh, the favor of God bestowed upon me. And listen, there's no better place to be in life than in the favor of God. A, a Christian ought to seek to live our lives. We should seek to always be in the favor of God. And so uh, we look at this goodwill, loving, kindness, favor. Now, uh, in uh, the, the, 
Greek dictionary, it then gives this paragraph to describe what that second statement means about goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. And it says this, The merciful kindness by which God, exerting His holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps them, strengthens them, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindness, uh, or enkindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues. And so I'm going to read that again and just think about the words as we go through them. This merciful kindness by which God, exerting His holy influence upon souls, remember the divine influence upon the heart, turns them to Christ, keeps them, I'm glad that my salvation is not dependent upon my good works, but on what the shed blood of Christ, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, in knowledge and affection, and kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues and its reflection in life. And so what we're saying here this morning is that when I experience the grace of God, Whenever the grace of God comes upon me and I receive Jesus Christ as my son, God's merciful kindness has extended to me his salvation, but he did not leave and stop influencing me and drawing me to him for just the salvation of my soul, but he turned me to Christ. He then keeps me secure in Christ. He strengthens me from day to day, day to day in my walk with Christ. He increases me in my increases my faith in the Christian life. He gives me knowledge. He develops affection within me, and then he kindles in my heart a desire to walk with him, to learn of him, to allow him to change me without resistance. And listen, so often God begins to work in our heart and our flesh resists God, changing us from what we were into what he wants us to be. But God did not save my soul to leave me as I was. He saved my soul to change me and conform me into the image of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that the grace of God does that. Now, that thing lands on Miss Judy. It's going to get really exciting in here really fast. Uh, and so, uh, in Webster's Dictionary, the 1828 version of, uh, of Webster's Dictionary, the word grace means this. I'm not going to get as deeply into this here. Just two primary statements that reinforce the biblical definition that we've spent so much time on. First, it means this, the free unmerited favor and love of God. The free unmerited favor and love of God. You might hear it in an acrostic form, something like this. I've heard it like this since I was a teenager. God's riches at Christ's expense. The free unmerited love of God extended toward us. And so that is grace. And then secondly, and it's interesting uh, that this is the terminology that Mr. Webster used in that time. And the second part of his definition is this, divine influence in the renewing and renewing the heart, and I love this last part, and restraining from sin. Divine influence in renewing the heart and in restraining from sin. Listen, the grace of God did not only save my soul, it not only forgave my sin, it not only gives me uh, the ability to uh, to rest secure in the shed blood of Christ. He not only gives me strength to grow from day to day, not only does He give me encouragement along the way, He also helps restrain me from the sin that would destroy me. 
The grace of God in its complete form is so much more than just, oh, for by grace you are saved. I've given you my unmerited favor so that I could save your soul. I'll see you when you get here. That's not the way that it works with God. God says, no, I've saved you. It would be tantamount to this. It would be tantamount to us having a child and then going to that child and about flew up my pant leg. And so, and then, and then having that baby and not caring for that child. God doesn't do that with us. God came to us and he said, listen, uh, I saved you. And when I saved you, you were in bad shape. When I birthed you, thank you, Brother Bill, he got it. And so uh, whenever, we, uh, whenever he came and he, uh, and he saved our soul and he looked at us uh, and he saw us where we were, he came to us where we were, uh, and, and I'm telling you, I mean, the way that the psalmist said it, uh, he lifted me up out of the miry clay. We were in a dung heap. <coughs> Sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, man, I'm glad that God saved me, but, uh, you know, I'm, compared to some people, I wasn't that bad. I'm going to tell you, in God's eyes, we're all equally guilty. Amen. We are all equally guilty of the law when it comes to the, uh, the sinning. And the, the, the prostitute, the drug addict, the murderer, uh, the guy on Skid Row is no more guilty uh, than that innocent, that what we would deem an innocent child who has lied and who has a sin nature. Our sin nature has condemned us to hell, but the loving kindness and the grace of God has come to us where we were and extended his love toward us and drawn us to him and said, if you'll receive me, if you'll have me, I'll give you the gift of salvation. I'll give you eternal life. You can be born into my family, and I will not leave you a babe in a crib unattended. I will live for you. I will love you. I will serve you. I will draw you up. I will keep you secure. I will provide your needs. I will walk with you. I will educate you. I will encourage you. And I will prevent you as best as you'll allow me to. I'll hold you back from sin so that you do not go back to what you were. So that you are not stuck back in the life that destroyed you. So that you are not left out there without the help and the benevolence of a God who loves you. He loves us this morning. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't have to, I mean, I don't even have to have a particularly bad day to look at myself and say, why in the world is God so patient with me? But he is. Because God is graceful. God is merciful. So we look this morning and we've seen a statement of grace. What is grace? We see what it is. Now secondly, consider with me, where do I get it? What is the source of this grace? Now, the source of grace, and we'll look back at first at John, excuse me, John's gospel, chapter number one. And uh, in the, the very beginning, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so he establishes right off the bat that Jesus Christ is God. He's not just the son of God. When it comes to his relation with us, he is God. God, he is deity, he is 100% God. The same was in the beginning with God, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. I may not ever comprehend, ever comprehend all that Jesus is, but I can comprehend this, that his light is shining in the darkness of this world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not, in verse number 10. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, 
even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, and there's a distinction here. We were all born of blood. We're all physically here, born of blood. But what he's talking about here is not physical life, but spiritual life. It is the regeneration of the lost soul, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The grace of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, and the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And this statement of Jesus' deity next is important. In verse 15, John, speaking of John the Baptist, bear witness of him, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake, he that cometh after me, is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus and John the Baptist was older physically than Jesus by a few months. And uh, so what John is saying is that he was before me because he is not just man, he is God. He pre-existed his incarnation. He was there at the garden. He spoke the world into being. He is God, what is the source of grace? Where does grace come from? Well, the Bible tells us here, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. If I want the grace of God this morning, if I want the grace of God to save my soul, if I'm saved and I want the grace of God to mature me spiritually, to help me to overcome uh, the weaknesses in my life, if I'm desirous of obtaining the grace of God so that it restrains me from sin, so that it helps me to become what God wants me to be, then the source of that grace is Jesus Christ. I must go to the source this morning. The word Jesus is the source of God's grace to men. Two thoughts on this primarily. First, the world uh, or, or the word he says here, he is the word full of grace and truth. I'm thankful this morning that I can look at my Bible and it tells me clearly uh, that it is Jesus Christ that the Word uh, is Jesus, uh, and God has given us uh, the living Word in written form in the Word of God. And as I look at that and I embrace it, I don't have to worry if some of it's true or if part of it's true. I can rest assured that all of it's true. You know, if I was one of these folks that just, uh, you know, had a, a book that, uh, that I felt like contained the Word of God, if I was someone that looked and thought, no, oh, I wonder, uh, you know, I've, I've got a bunch of different versions. Which one's true? I don't have to worry about that. I have the one true and living word of God preserved for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And God looks at us and he loves us and he shares with us his love and his grace. And I need to understand that not only do I have the grace of God extended to me, but I have the truth of God given to me as well. Second thought I want to make on this point is this, that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Listen, the law demanded righteousness. Demanded it. The law demands something that we cannot give. In ourselves, we have no righteousness. Our righteousness is not something that comes uh, from our humanity, from our soul, from our body. Our righteousness has been put in us by the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand this morning before God, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of the shed blood of Christ. 
Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Listen, the law demands righteousness, but grace gives righteousness. I'm grateful this morning that I'm not living a frustrated life trying to figure out how I can be more righteous so that God might someday look down uh, and smile in favor on me. I'm glad this morning that I have to trot in and pay some money to light some candles uh, to pray to a non-existent God uh, or non-existent or, uh, you know, some false statue uh, and put my faith and beliefs and hopes in some ancestor somewhere uh, that's, that's probably in all honesty uh, already been condemned to hell if they died without Christ. I'm not leaning and resting upon that. I am leaning and resting upon the truth of the word of God, which was given by the Lord Jesus Christ that shows us the truth of his and the reality uh, of our place in this world and I do not have a law that is here standing over me demanding my righteousness I do not have a priest that I have to answer to you do not have a pastor that you have to answer to there is one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus listen I am God's I am your pastor I am God's representative I am not God's police officer uh, and so what you the decisions that you make my responsibility this morning is to give you truth to help encourage you in the way but what you make what decisions you make what choices in life you make what things you adopt that's between you and God it's not my place to lord over you the truth of the word of God it is my place to share truth to live truth to demonstrate truth to uh, to uh, to pray and to show the grace of God in action listen God the law demanded that righteousness but the grace of God gives it freely I'm grateful this morning that I have a Savior that wants to change my life. The law is connected with Moses and works, but grace is connected to Jesus with faith. Where is our faith? This morning we spent last Sunday talking about growing forward in our faith, the source of grace. Now that I've seen this morning that statement of grace and the source of grace, what is its significance in my life? And for that, we go to Titus and we'll spend uh, really the, the rest of our time uh, there in Titus this morning. Uh, we might bounce and look at one other verse, but we're really right here. We're going to wrap this up this morning, the significance of grace. What is the significance of grace in my life? First, salvation comes by grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is by grace through faith. Listen, we have to have faith to connect us to the grace of God. The grace of God has always been here. The grace of God is all around us. The grace of God is extended to every person, even that rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace is not limited to a few. God's, Jesus' blood was shed for all. The love of Christ is shed for all. Jesus said, and it was written of Jesus, that I am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to righteousness. He wants, or to, to repentance, excuse me. Uh, he wants all of our lives to be secure in, in His righteousness. What I'm saying this morning is the significance of grace is that grace saves my soul. But as we've also seen this morning, grace sanctifies our soul. He doesn't leave us where we are. He found us where we are, but he brings us along. I want you to notice in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation 
hath appeared to all men. I listen this morning in a day and age in which uh, which Reformed theology seems to be the order of the day in taking over uh, many, even uh, what we would call uh, fundamental churches, understand this morning that the Bible says that Jesus died for all men. If I was going to believe in Reformed theology, then I have to manipulate the Scriptures and I have to read into it something that's not there. And very simply put, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. He loves us this morning. He died for us this morning. He wants to change us this morning. He will save you this morning by grace if you will place your faith and trust in Him. Pastor, I've done that. But man, I sure am frustrated in the Christian life. I just can't seem to get past some things in my life. How do I do that? Sanctification is also by grace through faith. Grow in grace. We grow in grace when we exert and put our faith and trust in Him. If you could put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and receive His grace to the saving of our souls, why cannot we do it to the changing of our lives? If he has the power to save me, he certainly has the power to change me. And if I believe this morning that he is going to change me in a moment in the twinkling of an eye into a glorified state such as he is whenever I enter his presence or he calls us home uh, at the rapture of the church, then why can I, can I not believe that he can help me overcome the, what is besetting me in this life right now? He loves us this morning. Many, again, many years ago, and uh, a man by the name of Felix Hardio in the Philippines. He's the poor Filipino farmer. And this poor Filipino farmer was for years wanting to buy a carabao, which is an ox-like animal for his farm. He needed it desperately, and he had for years saved his money. And what he didn't know is just a poor, uneducated farmer out in a, uh, a way far away from uh, from uh, the political realm of his nation, uh, that over that time of years they had changed their currency. And there was a deadline. You could bring your old currency in and you could exchange uh, the old currency for the new, but only up to a certain date. He saved his money. He, he saved uh, 30000 plus whatever their currency was at that time and uh, he finally felt that he had enough money uh, to buy this animal and so he goes uh, to market to buy the animal and when he offers up payment for the animal it's rejected because it's the wrong currency he was frustrated was disappointed he was uh, didn't know how to respond he didn't know what to do and so he thought well I'm going to write a letter to the president and so he writes a letter to the president, and he sends it off, and he goes about his business, continues to work hard, and continue to save his money, and waits for a reply. And one day, a reply comes. And as the reply came in 1975, as he sent the letter off, and, it was, and he got the response, the law must be followed. Because the deadline uh, for exchanging bills has already passed, the government can no longer change your bills with the new ones. Even the president of the Philippines is not exempt from this law or this rule. But the letter didn't end there. The letter continued. However, 
because I believe that you really worked hard to save this money and am changing, I am changing them with the new ones from my own personal funds, I hope that you will be able to buy your carabao. And the letter was signed, your friend Ferdinand E. Marcus, president of Philippine. He found grace. His works left him frustrated and empty. But grace met his need. And I would say to you this morning that if you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to the saving of your soul, that the law, that religion will leave you empty and lacking. Christian, if you're here this morning and you are conquered by the sin that so easily besets you, if you try to conquer that in the power of your own humanity and flesh, it will leave you lacking and wanting. But if I will come to Jesus for the saving of my soul and place my faith and trust in Him, I will receive the grace of God. And I will begin to understand that that person that invited me to come here that person that's given me a Bible, that person that's shared with me their testimony, that person that's told me about how Jesus can save them, what it ultimately has been. Every song that I've heard sung, every sermon that I've heard preached, every verse of Scripture that I have read has been the divine influence of an almighty God upon your heart so that He can draw you to Himself and change your life. Christian, frustrated by sin, if you will take the same faith that you put in Jesus Christ for the saving of your soul, if you'll put that faith in Him and allow, yield yourself to Him to allow Him to work in your life, His grace will not only save you, but His grace will change you. His grace will give you victory. His grace will give you power. His grace will bring you to a point and a moment in your life where you no longer are going through life wondering if your life matters, but knowing that your life is making a difference for the glory of God. Not because you're a good worker, not because, and we ought to be good workers, not because you, you labor uh, uh, and work vigorously and hard, though we ought to, not because uh, we've kind of conquered and mastered self. Listen, the conquering and the mastery of self can be accomplished for a short time by anybody, but real change of character and heart can only happen by the grace of God. Will we let him work this morning? See, I can, I can, I can say, oh man, pastor, that's great. I'm going to go home and I'm going to change my life. No, you won't. You don't have the power to change your life. I did not have the power to save my soul. I certainly uh, didn't have that, and I don't have the power to change my character. What I have the power to do is to recognize how inept I am to put my faith and trust in the one that had the power to save me, that has the power to keep me, that has the power to strengthen me, that has the power to lead me, that has the power to keep me from sin. And when I put my faith in him, then he can change my life. Acts chapter 13 in verse number 43, uh, the Apostle Paul says to them in the, that are congregated there, Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and the religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. 
take anything with you this morning, I pray that you'll take this. Continue in the grace of God. Continue to allow the divine influence upon your heart to be reflected in your life. Continue in the grace of God. You know what grace is. We know where to get it. We know its significance. Don't leave it alone. Don't leave it outside of the realm of our life. Embrace it. Embrace the one who gives it. Embrace the one who magnifies it. And let him not only save your soul, but change your life.